Asia Tech Podcast with Graham Brown and Michael Waits. Hi, this is Michael Waits from ATP Stories, and I am talking to Eileen Sia. Eileen is an organizational psychologist, an executive coach, and the owner of The Art of Career. Did I get that right? Yes. Hi, Mike. How are you? You're in Singapore, yeah? Yes, I am. And are you originally from Singapore? Yep, um, born in Singapore, raised in Singapore, and worked in Singapore. Uh, I've also worked in other countries for short periods of time, and I'm back in a hometown. Yes, I'm here. Pure so, breed Singaporean. Do you want to talk a little bit about like your background? Like, What is an organizational mm-hmm. psychologist? What does an executive coach do? And then how does that play out into the art of career and the philosophy around what that's meant to do? Okay, so I started my career in a uh, in Ministry of Defense, and I'm a computer science graduate, believe it or not. Um, well, I say that because a lot of people look at me and they go, okay, so you're yeah, computer science, so you code and all. Yeah, I understand um, coding. And I've actually taken on quite many roles. Um, I started my people management role quite early on in my career, so I've moved on. I didn't work in that many com- um, companies. Um, I've worked in various industries like the defense industry, banking industry, travel industry, uh, telecommunications industry, and my last corporate job was with Thomson Reuters. Wow, okay. Um, Yeah, and the positions that I've held, I've actually started off in the frontline roles, and I've always been um, moving, been very curious about various other roles as well. So I've done um, also support roles as well, product management, sales, marketing, customer service. A lot of my time is spent in that area. And then mid-career, I made a change into human resource, so HR. Um, And I spent a good time um, in my career focusing on that piece. And that's where I really enjoy my work a lot. Um, And I've decided to come out and be of service to the people. So and that's where I found that out of career, yeah. Yeah, but so how do you do that, right? I mean, there's an interesting transition, right, from the sort of technical aspects of computer science mm-hmm. and just the human-facing business of executive coaching, organizational psychology, and human resources, right? Yeah. So um, basically, if you look at the roles in school, we are not taught on how the, the real world works. <laughs> For sure. Um, <laughs> But that's and, true, and though. So, like you say that as yeah. like a throwaway line, but it's really true, and I talk about this a lot. Like, there's yeah. a whole bunch of things that you're taught in school, right? Like six plus seven is thirteen. Great, and I can see a real life use for that. But there's so mm-hmm. much other stuff out there that we're not taught about, just like what is life and how to get along and all these things yeah. that you need to know that it's, nobody ever teaches you. Exactly, and I think in school we are taught, we are given a curriculum, sort of like a roadmap, and it's all about me, I, me, and myself. So as long as I do well, as long as I follow the curriculum, as long as I ace, and in fact, as long as I do better than the people sitting around me, I'm okay. And that doesn't quite work in the real world. I mean, it works okay in terms of your functional job, but in the real world, what people need and everybody needs is, you know, how to interact with one another, how to collaborate with one another. The real meaning of collaboration is not just what you can do for yourself should that's important i mean we've got to get that all crossed out and ticked out as well but the essential part about the working world is how are you going to interact with others and that's where 
the human psychology comes in. And I really think, and this is one of my pet peeves as well, um, what we need in our education system is teach everybody about psychology, at least the basic concepts, you know, and therefore we don't need to struggle with empathy. Because a lot of leaders, very, very good, capable, accomplished leaders, are unable to interact with one another. They're very good in what they do, but there's this big question about, since I'm a manager, I have a direct team, I am, in, you know, in theory, um, a leader. And even in theory, they are not leaders because leaders need followers. And if you ask followers, um, you ask you know, the people who work for them, do you want to you know, follow this manager? I don't know. I don't know if the manager will be prepared for the answer. <laughs> yeah, probably not. But so how do you teach that? So I think it's, um, firstly, I basically, I cut it up into parts. So number one is about managing yourself, leading yourself. So are you able to accomplish what you need to accomplish? Are you independent? Um, and do you understand yourself very well? So I think I always gravitate and focus on this thing about understanding themselves. So a lot of them think that, um, you know, every manager is the same. Everybody deals with people. Everybody does the same thing, but it's not true. So they need to realize that everyone has got different leadership style. Everybody's got management style. So I teach them, first thing first, understand yourself. Number two is um, understand about leadership styles as well, because not all styles fit everybody. And the third thing, which is very important, are the levels of leadership so people follow starting with the first one do people follow you because they have to or do people follow you because they want to and this is where the conversation gets a little sensitive you know tell me, because tell me. you yeah because you you don't want to break the self-esteem of the manager it's a little bit of the aha moment and a little bit of you know realization that hang on i never quite ask my people do people actually follow me if they don't work for me so if they understand this, if they know how they can lead people without having direct teams, how you can actually influence people to take actions, right, without having to be part of your team because they want to be part of your team. And we don't need to be a manager or to be given a title in order to lead. We can start leading right now. I mean, I've got, in, in my organization, I've got um, professionals who are working with us you know, based on interest in their projects and also aligned with the areas of work that they're they are good at, not only good at, but also interested in. So I think at the end of the day, it's about finding yourself and then knowing the environment that works best for you. So that is like understanding yourself before talking about how you can lead others. And then when it comes to lead others, leading others, most managers would want a quick fix. Everybody would be saying, just tell me how, I'll just get it done. But then a lot of the solution lies within yourself because you need to then understand how you can make others want to work with you. So understanding about psychology, making it all about them, and also starting with why, showing them all the evidence-based um, techniques. And I don't mean shuffling them with like, you know, a whole lot of 20 techniques because where are they going to start? Because so here's, where, here's what I'll tell them. I'll say, okay, you've got a menu of 20 techniques. Pick the one that makes sense the most and you're most comfortable in. And then make it work. Try it out. And understanding about how habits are, are, are formed, how you know, your inertia to change, and also how you can give 
the other party time to warm up to your style. You know, there's a lot of uh, play of the human psychology, and I gotta qualify here, mine. Um, I'm not talking about manipulating people, because I think there's a little gray line, gray area there. Yeah, when you talk about um, psychology. So, can I ask this question though? Where does the role of titles come mm. into play with leadership? And I'll tell you why I'm asking. So I mm. saw this a lot at work where mm. people would question to their own bosses. Their boss would say, you know, you report to me, whatever, but you've got a staff of five people that work for you and you're not properly leading them. And the response sometimes came back as, yeah, well, I'm only, you know, title B. And if I was title mm. C, I would have more leverage or more power. How do you mm. – and the response from the boss was kind of circular was, well, t- exercise that power and then you'll be – you'll be um, – You'll be mm. able to get that new title. Yeah, do you know what I, I mean. So how do you how do you I, solve I that? Exactly how do you solve you, that circular yeah. logic of you know do I deserve to be level C mm. or do I have to earn my way into it? And if I do, how do I just exercise power and leadership? Right, because leadership isn't necessarily just about power; it's about leading. Exactly. Right? So how do you? Yeah. But how do you teach that? So as, from the executive coaching standing standpoint, right? And with the understanding that you have as an organizational psychologist, mm-hmm. how do you teach that to people? That they have to get past the fact that they can lead without having the title of, you're my leader. Yes. Um, I think the main thing here is understanding about role models. Um, so typically what I would do is getting them, getting everybody who's interested in, in being a leader to understand what it takes to be a leader, what it means to be a leader. So understanding the terminology, getting their... Um, at least getting their their mindset correct on the right track first. So starting with with, with that and clear, clarifying if they've got any wrong interpretation of what it means to be a leader. And then the second piece, as I said, is about understanding themselves. But I do want to address the question which you raised um, about titles. I think titles, what I would do typically is to teach and I covered this a lot in my HR for non-HR class um, which I found really interesting because I do get HR attending as well because the title which is kind of strange <laughs> um, but anyway so back back to that particular question I get that question a lot so when we start we I would show everybody the entire talent management cycle so the entire talent management cycle is always tagged to the business strategy. So it starts from there. You know, what does the business want to achieve before we even talk about titles? Where where do they want to go? Um, what sort of capabilities do they need? And not even talking about individuals yet. We're just looking at capabilities and then we'll classify them. What are the, you know, um, strategy to acquire such capabilities? Do we hire people who already have that capability or the comp- competency? Or do we train people to have that competency? Because no one else could understand your business as much as you do, you know, and and it could be a brand new area that nobody has done it before. So you need to train. So it's only one of these two strategies that they need to think of. Now, if they hire people from the market who already has that capability and the competency, then they might want to look at some of the job titles that covers that. But that even that doesn't even answer the question. There's just understanding where job titles come in. And and from there, if they are in the business of a brand new area, then they will need to then decide what title actually fits that. 
And titles are very dynamic. Titles are fluid as well. I think we, we lean too much on titles. So I get this a lot in, in the workshop um, where individuals will say, look, I'm only a customer service executive. I'm not a customer service manager. manager yeah. and, and that means uh, when my manager asks me to do a certain piece of the job, why should I do what he does? You know, it's his job. He's paid $5,000. You know, I'm only paid $1,000. So I don't see myself doing that job because it's his responsibility. So they quibble about the task instead of focusing on what the company needs. You know, so what managers need to do is to align everything back to the business strategy and the business outcomes. What part of your job actually contributes into the business outcome? And when individuals come to me and say, look, this is not my job, it's my boss's job, I always ask them, you know, um, why do you go to work? I mean, do, do you like your, what you do? If the answer is, for hygiene purpose, look, I only go to work because, you know, I need to put food on the table. So, so that's a different thing altogether. I said, look, since you need to put food on the table, don't you, wouldn't it be nice to enjoy what you do? Yeah, okay, so moving them along. Third piece would be, you know, are you really good at doing that? Maybe you're the best person to run that job. So really focusing the individual on the career objective, the career plan, making him see, taking the, the manager out of the equation and asking this individual, are you the best person to run that task? Right. You know, forget about focusing on your boss. He's not important in the entire equation of your career journey. Sure, he'll be very important if you have decided to use him as your mentor or your sponsor. But, you know, looking at this particular task alone, forget about him. Look at the business. What does the business need? Are you the best person to do that job? If you're not, advise him and tell him there could be another person. Because this focus, this topic about who should be doing that job is immaterial if you change and shift your focus on the organization. So that's, that's, that's one. And I think titles, then, you know, back to the story about, you know, when, when you want to select your talent and how you're going to acquire the talent to do the job, then only then do you decide Okay, so if I were to, like where I am right now, Mike, you know, running your own business, where are you going to, um, where are you going to find your talent? What is the best way of um, describing what he does? And even that job title is only, you know, uh, 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 on paper. It gives people some kind of idea. But the second part of your question, Mike, when you said, what do I need to do to get that promotion? Right. That's where calibration of roles come in. Calibration of roles come in and uh, sure, if we were to forget about titles, it will be easy to say, okay, at the end of the year, I pay my X dollars and I pay uh, John you know, um, X plus $20. So the main problem comes in the next question, why? Why do you pay Mike X and you pay me X plus 20? So it's the calibration. The calibration of what your role needs to do. The calibration of, you know, what sort of compensation you need to have is a question of common language. Job titles are there as a means of common language. Just so that by the mere mention of that job title in the company, 
we kind of have an imaginary calibration of where this person is, and we have an imaginary calibration of where this what this person can do or should do. That's it. It's, it's, it's meant more for internal referencing. Um, so we shouldn't be all too hung up by by job titles. We should be looking at job titles as a way of defining what we do, and it should be fluid. It should never be cast in concrete. Yeah, I mean, this whole concept, right, is does authority or leadership come from the title or <laughs> or vice versa, right? In other words, does the title come from your ability to have authority and be a leader? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I really think we shouldn't focus too much on the title. Um, individuals, which is what um, I... I try to coach and I try to inspire individuals to first understand yourself and then, and then bring more of who you really are and, um, and really lean on your strength. And I don't mean that in tongue-in-cheek kind of comment. No, I no. do mean, yeah, I, 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 do, I do emphasize a lot. I spend a lot of time talking about what they're good at. And you can, you can tell just by looking at them, telling your story, telling them, explaining to you what they enjoy most. Um, and the tool that I use a lot is having them draw a graph on their career journey, where they have been, what they have done, um, what makes them happy and what makes them unhappy in the job. And just by that exercise alone, it can take easily an hour or even more. Um, well, some more, depending on how long they've worked in the, uh, in the market. And you can see and you can tell what they enjoy doing and also what they're good at. So, so, so let, me ask you, let me ask you a question. No, it's okay. It's a really interesting conversation. But you run hmm. your own business as well, right? Which you started sometime last year. Yes, correct. Right. So run, um, well, run, running your own hmm. business. Yeah, not to be too pedantic. Sorry about timing. That's my mistake. I'm sorry. But let's, you're running your own business, so you look at this sort of business growth and title and authority and leadership from two different perspectives, right? One is you have your own business, so you have to lead people and convince people to follow you, and maybe you have your own sort of infrastructure and hierarchy as well. But then second mm-hmm. of all, you need to teach people in organizations both large and small how to mm-hmm. be better leaders, how to understand, like you said, what they're good at and what they're not good at, how to understand who, are, who they are, first of all, and then how that gets implemented in the way they interact at work and what their yes. roles are, right? And this whole concept of calibration, I guess, is really important. That, But can you just explain a little bit about maybe the differences between how you mm-hmm. perceive that when you're running your own company, but also big organizations to small organizations and how you coach differently in those situations? Mm, okay. There's a um, lot there, but I, I I just wanted to bring that all up, give you some a little bit more stuff to talk about as well. <laughs> that I have a lot to talk about. I know, yeah, I know. but and like... I just and I just made it triple. So. Yeah, cool, cool. You're good at what you do. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, so I I guess for for myself, you know, when I'm I've been through so many roles, and what I've seen is um, invariably in my job especially the last corporate role um, when I was at Thomson Reuters, I was, I was in a position, I had to transition from a position where I had 160 direct and indirect reports into a role, HR, um, that's very, very lean. I only had two direct reports. So, I mean, the first thing I needed to do was, what do I do with so much work, you know, and so little people? So um, I, I was, and then I realized that 
okay, so part of me is I like to make everything fun. It's got to be something enjoyable. Um, fun is something that I do emphasize a lot. And I do ask all the people that I work with, I always ask this question, are you enjoying what you're doing? Right. Don't, um, don't ask me, you know, what, which project should I work on? Pick one. Don't ask me which um, workshop and which, which training um, setup and, and all should I pick up. And I always say, pick one, you know, which is the one that you're going to start with. So, so I started that way. I was focusing a lot on making the projects interesting because I was thinking if nobody's coming to a party, at least I should enjoy my own party. And, um, and from there, it actually grew. And I realized that there's a lot of people who wants to be part of my, my project. And if you go to my LinkedIn profile, you would see um, I've got high potentials, um, future successors who are, who are working on you know, um, global projects. We were on to global projects. And these are projects which, and which came to me as an idea. And I've got people coming on it. So I've learned that, oh gosh, you know, as long as you make it interesting, forget about titles, forget about you know, who reports to who. You know, as long as you find a project that's interesting and it's meaningful for the organization, I think you will have enough people coming in. So that was, that, that was the main focus. I thoroughly enjoyed that. I created a lot of programs. Um, and then I realized that um, a lot of organizations can do the same thing just so that individuals enjoy every single piece of project that they are participating. Right. So that was that. And then how do I actually come out? Actually, truth be told, I was coming to a point because I've got three kids in two years. And my twins oh my God. were coming, yeah, were coming of age where, um, you know, in Singapore we have this all twelve-year-olds have to go through a national exam, and um, and what more twins? So I decided, hey, maybe I should be a stay-at-home mom. I had this maternal calling that I should be staying at home and not ignoring them because I'm I'm quite a workaholic. So I thought, okay, come out. But thing is, I came out and. By the way, uh, I came out actually seven years ago. My, um, I I started my business seven years ago. Got it. Out of career, yeah. Out of it's just a name change. So um, seven years ago, I came out and I said, okay, I'm gonna spend time on my kids. But that didn't last very long. So in the second month, I started incorporating uh, my company and I started working from there. Yeah, I couldn't stop. So the difference, the difference was. The questions are all the same. Problems are all the same. Whether you are big, whether you're you're mid-sized or small-sized company, the, question, the, the the things that you look at in terms of people are the same. But the method of implementing it should also be the same. And that's what I realized. There's no difference. Okay. So number one is yeah. How do I uh, hire the right talent to do the job? Right. And it's the same thing. So everybody will be struggling with, with, I mean, having the same questions as well. Number two, how do I select the right people to do the job? Right. And number three, how do I make sure that this person, uh, this individual is engaged in the job? Number four, how do I ensure that this individual will run the full mile, will run the full marathon, like me, because I'm. This is my business, and I'm here to stay. Will this individual stay? So retention. Same question again, and and looking at you know every every individual coming together as a team. 
how can that how can I create a culture of work that's gonna make everybody want to come to work and not have to come to work so corporate values same thing again it doesn't matter what size of business you run you the people questions are the same across all organizations so it's size agnostic basically that's that's the key thing. So if you're going to run your own company, I think you will. everybody will grapple with the same thing. And there are, there's, there's a couple of things that I can advise any people manager, or especially business owners. When it comes to running your organization, you know, just treat the employees like you would your, 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 your business partner. Treat every employee like a business partner. And I don't mean uh, allotting shares to them. Talk to them and grow the business with them. Same thing if you are a mid-sized organization. I think I think the, the focus on running the business and running the company, as you would like a entrepreneur, is lost. I don't know, lost in translation, lost in the equation as businesses get bigger. Right. And so, why should that be the case, right? Yes, yeah, so that's what I was going to ask you. Do you find it hard when you go into an organization that's... I don't know how to categorize it, but it's like slightly larger than midsize, right? It's already had mm-hmm. a corporate culture for a certain period of time. And trying to change the mindset of a manager as your executive coaching internally mm. because the surrounding management team or sort of peer level of managers either A, is not willing to change or just doesn't understand they need to change to make you know, this corporate culture a place where people want to come to work every day, as you said, as opposed to just having to come to work every day. Like, how do you handle that level of difficulty? Yeah, I think first I have to show them some, I have to ask them what's their, who's their mental model of leaders, right. if they have one. And, and for those who have never thought of it, they will end up thinking about it. See, the amazing thing about organizational psychology, and I don't, uh, um, is, is this, is about planting a thought. Um, you know, if, if we understand how humans actually change and adapt to change, it's all about uh, it's all about weighing the pros and cons. And there's this theory called the uh, trans theoretical transformation model (TTTM). I know it's a bit of a mouthful. No, it's but not. <laughs> and, that, and that's fun. Look, people, you need to get used to um, terminology in every in every. Yeah, business, I know, right? right? So <laughs> yes. it, it's no different. So, I mean, you try going mm-hmm. to like you know, Goldman Sachs and trying to understand that everybody has their own terminology and it's fair, right? Yes, you're right. Yeah, especially in the financial industry. So, um, yeah, so so if we understand how humans actually end up buying, how humans um, change their old habit, actually this theory is applied to individuals who've got really annoying habit, deeply entrenched habit that they need to change. And typically these are negative ones, you know, and, and it's harmful to your body, it's harmful to... The people around you and it's harmful to society, enough said. So it starts with a thought. It starts with a thought. So it's it's all about thought planting. Have you watched the movie Inception? Um, I don't watch a lot of movies. Okay, okay. Um, if It's okay. I mean, maybe if you um, can pick that movie up, that would be great as well. It's all about thought planting. So powerful, you know. All we need to do is to drop an idea, give someone an idea, and don't get too worried and hunger about, about I have to change you. Because you can't focus on what you cannot control. You've got to focus on what you can control. And, and, then, and then channel your energy on trying to influence the person. 
and don't get too hung up with the result because change will happen. Because you have already done, you have already initiated a change. If you understand the the whole curve, the whole curve is about pre-contemplation, contemplation, and then preparing, taking action, and then maintenance. Simply that it's, right. it sounds very logical, and it is logical, and it starts with pre-contemplation. If you don't give a thought of what good should look like, then you can't blame any individual for staying status quo. Simply that. And what goes on in the minds of the status quo in terms of the individual who needs that change, that individual is just simply weighing pros and cons. That individual will be saying, look, there's too much pros in terms of staying where I am. I'm I'm not going to change because I don't see any benefit in changing. So that conversation continues on all the way to right to the very end where the individual has taken an action and that pros and cons still continues. So the individual will be saying, yep, I like this new me. I like this, you know, I'm glad I'm not back to the old habit, but that's the stage where anybody can slip back into the old habit very, very quickly. So the only time where, you know, kicking the old habit off the pros and cons conversation going away is when the individual enters into the maintenance mode. So simply that, I just I just focus on that. I apply every single psychology theory, psychological theory that I preach because I've personally benefited from it. And just just that once they understand, I think managers will know that, okay, is this the best of me that I should be? You know, um, and I think to answer your question, very simply, I would also ask the manager, do you see yourself as a coach going forward? If you're a coach, if you're a coach and someone is in the position that you are in right now, how would you then coach this individual? So what I'm trying to do is teach this manager or, or the leader to self-coach. That's one technique that I'll try to reach to, to teach them. It's kind yeah. of weird. <laughs> Psychotic, you might even say. Having conversation with yourself, yeah. But what what do you think the impact is? In other words, a lot of people sort of get executive coaching in the mid part of their careers, right? And I guess there's some people are open to it, others aren't. But what's the lasting impact? And do you see, you mentioned the word maintenance, right? So it made me think, is this something as well that needs to be ongoing training for somebody? It's, this is not a one-time only thing, right? Yeah, it's, it's, it's not. So um, you've asked a um, cool question, which is I wanted to, to mention about this as well. Coaching can happen at any stage of your career. Right. Typically, if we are looking at being a wage earner, we would spend about 40 years or more slightly in the employment industry. Yeah. I mean, the first 10 years are what we call the early career stage. And then that's the next 20 years, which is deemed as the mid-career stage. So it could be an early mid, 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 mid to late. And then the last 10 years <clears throat> is what we deem as the late career stage. Coaching can happen throughout all, all these phases. And what I find are millennials, Gen Ys, millennials and, and, and Gen Ys are asking for coaching. That's the interesting thing about, about what's happening in Asia. And that's really exciting as well. Because coaching is predominantly, you know, uh, adopted in the U.S. It started in the U.S. and then it spread in, the, in Europe and it's making its way into Asia. And a lot 
of uh, professionals have warmed up to their idea, especially the millennial generation. Why is that the case? Because especially in Singapore as well, in Asia, um, the schooling, you know, school school going children are so used to um, so used to having help, additional help, what we call the tuition generation. So this same group of tuition generation have gone through education and they are coming into the workforce and they are so used to having external help what replaces tuition in the working community coaching so coaching actually applies across all um, <clears throat> all phases of your career so back to your question so might you ask me an interesting question so is this a oneself or is it an ongoing journey definitely an ongoing journey and coaching is not a be all and end all meaning to say um, some individuals are able to coach themselves, just like you and I. We have certain preferences on how we learn, how we absorb information, and how we make sense of information. Right. Some some need <clears throat> some need help, and some don't need help. For me, um, I have gone through coaching. I've I've received coaching, and I've benefited from coaching, and I'm in coaching. So I've been on the other side as well. So the coaching part, which which is, um, I don't know if you you will agree with me, but what I've realized about coaching is for any accomplished individuals, for example. Okay, so let me just take one step back very quickly. For early career individual, this individual will be asking a lot of questions, yeah? I, and, and tell me how, show me why, and, and, and stuff like that. So it's a lot of the how, it's a, a lot of the what and the how. So that's their focus. They want to know how others have done it. They want to give me examples of, you know, what this means, you know, what's out there. So I find that that's the kind of focus on coaching the early career professionals. The mid-career professionals is about preparing themselves for the next the next position, the next journey, finding themselves. Um, you know, uh, who am I? Uh, what, what should, where should I go? Should I specialize? Should, should I go into a people management kind of role? Um, so they need to prepare themselves. It's all about preparing for the next role, preparing for the next job. Yep. Um, but the late career professionals will be looking at totally different things. They will be looking at, okay, so what do I want to focus on in my life, right? Uh, is job everything. So you see, everybody take a piece of everything out of it. But the late career group of professionals, when we coach them, they are all accomplished individuals. Yes, they are looking at what's next in terms of having a balanced lifestyle or do I want to actively retire or completely retire. That conversation, that part of coaching is all about bouncing ideas off each other. It's not about asking for a formula, a proven way or anything like that. It's the conversation. It's about me building on your opinion and, and you know, and what comes out from the coach is also, you know, offering information and building on the points that comes out from the coachee as well. So it's the conversation. It's having a conversation. It's having a sounding board. It's, it's having an, you know, um, some advice that you can get on certain topics. You know, what's your view on this? You know, t tell me about it. And I know that I need to have the conversation in order to come up with new solutions, new packages, new approaches, or even answers to any problems. So, so it's the conversation. So, it, and this brings up another really interesting question for me is when you go to get coached, where are your coaches from? 
In other words, are they all local, are they regional, are they global? And then, if I understand correctly, mm-hmm. right, because every culture is going to have a different view on what type of behavior is necessary to coach, right? That's first mm. of all. But second of all, unless I'm reading something incorrectly, you spent some time overseas as well getting educated or being educated, right? Yes. And do you think that impacts the way you look at the corporate development and the career development of people? And if you do, how do you think that that, because you were in New York, you were in California, how do you think that that impacts your view on you know, that career development and how people should be coached around that career development? Ah, so how should people be coached based on that career development? Well, everybody... Yeah, but just what was the impact for you of, in other words, if you'd been born, raised, educated, gone to SMU, you know, gone to university mm. in Singapore mm. as well, mm. how would you perceive things differently, do you think, if at all, than mm-hmm. if you had done what you did do, which was go to, you know, learn some, some stuff in New York and learn some stuff in California as well? Yeah, I... I believe that everybody should you know take um take a job outside of singapore i believe everyone should also well okay so two things um what we went through as my generational age group it's different from the younger generation so the millennials that are coming into the workforce the baby boomers who have gone through because because of the environment that we grow up in and I, I am very fortunate to have worked with organizations that are global who were able to identify talent and allow talent to, to experience you know, um, working environments outside of Singapore because you're in a global organization. And that's the thing. That's the thing um, that... I've, that's the message that I've been driving to all individuals. Got it. So you don't need to be identified as a talent to enjoy all of that. So, um, number one, what, what do future successes and high potentials go through? Right. The first thing first is exposure. They need to be exposed to what's going on on the other side of the planet. Agreed. And the good news is we are living in an era that transcends all that and technology actually gives us all that answers you know we don't need to travel to another place in order to connect with that person technology gives us the bridge and the platform everybody needs to be a digital professional everybody needs to be there and that's the message I've been driving to everybody once you embrace technology um, and make it a part of your, your working life then you are able to do what a lot of um, people in my age group and in the earlier generation age group had to fight for. Right now, it's right at your doorstep. It's right. It's, it's achievable. So um, they need to, yeah, they need to absolutely use technology. So the first question I always ask everyone is, have you got a presence in the digital world? Right, a digital um, presence with is some, so important, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, so a, a lot of people think that, yeah, having a digital presence means having Facebook account, you know, social. Look, I'm, I'm a very private person. You know, I think the lines between the um, the, the work-life kind of uh, boundary is graying, maybe even disappearing. So being authentic 
you know, being who you are becomes ever more important. So I I guess my message is, how do I then, you know, um, help individuals to actually go through what I've went through because I really benefited um, a lot. And, and, And that's the key thing. So technology, they need to be there. Just get into the digital market and you're there. You're there. You're able to connect to everybody. You're able to see and experience a lot of things. A lot of the um, leadership development programs that I've went through um, would have been, I I think I would have enjoyed a lot more and participated in a lot more programs if technology were that pervasive as it is today. So it gives a lot of platform. Yep, it's so accessible, right? Yeah, I was just going to say, like, but why do you think that's the case? I don't disagree with you, but why do you think that's the case, that the technology enables you to do those things? Can you talk about that in a little bit more detail? Yes, I can. Yeah, absolutely. Um, What I went through, I had to fly out of Singapore to meet people because we, we didn't have solutions where... Uh, we are able to get different individuals from different countries to actually come together and work on a same work on the same project. We had to fly to see the professors. Um, compared to today, you know, you are able to use the web and and you are able to create even classrooms on the web, literally. Um, I mean, yeah, digitally, it, you know, on the web, and you are able to see that individual on the web. And now with three sixty cameras. And you know, um, in place, you are able to even simulate like you're there, sitting in a classroom, looking around you. You know, the virtual reality or augmented reality stuff—it's real. It's it's within reach. If we had that when I had when um, when I was going through you know leadership development programs at right. Michigan, at Stanford, I would have. I think I would have enjoyed a lot more. I, you know, I think there will be a lot more programs that I have go through. I don't need to, you know, wait for uh, approval of a budget because there's a lot of costs in flying people out and then staying there, residing there, and going through the programs. I believe that with technology today, everything is accessible. Everything becomes, you know, um, they are able to deliver all that within a short spate of time. You don't need to wait out like 10 years to finish two management development programs, something like that. Yeah, I mean, look, you can the, a lot more, yeah. the access to online education, and I've done a lot of work in the ed tech space, right? And it's a slightly different conversation, but you're right. The access to technology, whether it's, you know, Khan Academy, Udemy, Skill Lane, any of these big sort of online education companies do allow you to learn things, you know, from the simplest soft skills to the most technical hard skills. And also to mm. have one-to-one coaching and one-to-one language skills, like all this stuff is readily available now. Like you said, when I was a kid, um, mm. which is a lot longer before you were a kid. Oh, really? I'm, way, so older, I'm way older than you are. Um, but... When I was a child, like none of that was available. And I think you're right. I think it changes your perspective on how things get taught, but also on the ability to maintain that. This is the maintenance is a word we used earlier, right? And I think that that actually becomes much easier with access to technology too. Yes, yes. That becomes so much easier. I, the, um, the whole approach to finding your next job has also changed with technology where before I need to, I need to, uh, well, I have no idea. In fact, um, you know, I have no idea who's who in, in the organization, in any organization. I don't even have a place where I can find out information about how many companies are there, you know, in this particular industry doing this stuff. 
and let alone knowing who works in there, you know, and, and it was never available. But today, it's so available. Right. But professionals are still, you know, living in an old paradigm where they need to um, scout around on open positions before they start to approach the company. So what I've done is totally different. I try to teach them. Uh, well, I try, I, I basically tell them, look, the answers are all there, right, on the internet. Right. You know you know right. where the companies are, you know how to assess them. Everybody's got this contact us button. Um, the details are there. And guess what? LinkedIn also tells us who works there. And um, so go reach out and have a conversation. Don't wait for the, co- the opportunity for that one-hour interview to let people know who you are. Go out there. Let them know who you are. And even if nothing comes out of it, you have a connection. Right. You understand a lot more about the organization. So it is really a game changer. And I don't do, I'm, I'm very mindful about making motherhood statements, but it's really true. I mean, it's, it's, it's there within your reach. So what's happening right now is a lot of um, individuals are still living in an old paradigm. They, they come out into the working industry and they think, okay, wait. Okay, so step one, wait for a job advertisement. Step two, submit my resume. Step three, wait right. for the call. And then step four, impress, impress, impress in that one hour. Sometimes you don't even get a full hour. Sometimes you only have 15 minutes. So then, And then go back and pray and hope that you get the job and hope for that phone call. Right, and this is definitely the old paradigm. And I, I'm, if, you're suggesting, if you're suggesting what I believe, and that is that that methodology, actually it doesn't work both ways, right? Because it, it's really bad for hiring mm. entities and it's really bad for people that want to get hired. I have this philosophy, right, that you never get anything mm. you don't ask for, right? So yes. waiting is a bad strategy in almost every case, right? In other words, you want that thing, build a relationship with it. Here's my, here's my strategy mm. for this, right? Build a strategy mm-hmm. with somebody over time. Call them. They don't know you. You don't know them, but contact them. And there are p- multiple ways to contact them, right? That's first of all. Second of all, build a relationship. Don't just go and say, can I have you're your right. watch? I, I, yeah. That's a beautiful watch you're wearing. Let me have it. Build a relationship yeah. over time and then say, hey, after three to six months, you're like, you know what? I'm going to be away for a day, but I need a timepiece. Can I borrow yours? And you're like, now you've got a 50-50 shot at absolutely. getting it. Yeah, absolutely. So it's within your reach. And and, and that's why I have on my, my website, I said, find your brilliance, find your brilliance, right? Have a lot of, uh, a heavy dose of imagination. I, I always ask them that question. What do you want to be? I mean, don't say what you want to what want to be. Go to internet, right? And search, does anybody have the job that you want to have? Does anybody out there, did you come across a job that looks really interesting? And that person is having that job. So do you know what job is that? So suddenly they go, "Mm, oh, okay, but wait, I graduated in this. Or it could be a case of, but I've always been a, you know, um, supply chain manager. So what's next? I can only look within that area. No, says who? (laughs) You know, I mean, it's all within your reach. So go look for the role that you think, you know, imagination is free. I always say that. Imagination is free. Just go imagine. So where would you want to go? Okay, so let's try. So digital presence is the first thing that I get the individuals to actually um, get out of the whole program. You know, at least come out of the program having a digital presence, having a lot of courage, and and having a lot of imagination as well. And another thing I, I want to mention 
um, is being very comfortable um, with making mistakes and also how they view failures. So building a lot of resilience as well. You know, because we we are all educated with the mindset that we've got to ace everything. We've got to do very well in everything just to get that mark or get that grade. And it's all about pleasing the other side. And, and, and we have to change that mantra. We really have to change that mantra. Look, we don't get where we are if we don't make mistakes. Yeah. So that's, that's one of my pet peeves, you know, just teaching everybody. So I, I remember I received this book. I was attending a town hall. Uh, where we've got global leaders coming down, passing through Singapore, and then, you know, so great town hall. So I had this question, and it was all about asking about failure. So I asked the panelists, I I said, um, can I ask a question? Has anybody failed or uh, faced with failures, you know, throughout your career journey? Because we've heard good things about where you are today, what how accomplished you are. I say, but um, I, I just want to know if anybody has been faced with failures before. And guess what? Every panelist, every single we one, had a, every single one, five of them. I remember everybody said, no, nah, I think I've been lucky. And then another buddy, some, somebody said, no, nah, I think I had a good mentor. You know, nobody had any mistake or at least they didn't want to mention any mistake at all. And I was thinking, whoa. You know, yeah, just is, is this the leadership that First I want all, to follow? No, it can't and be true. Think, it can't be true, and I'll tell you why. And I was talking to some... It can't be true. You're right. Sorry. I, I interrupted you. I'm sorry. But I want to... I'm very passionate about this. <laughs> if, you've never, if you've never failed, you're not trying hard enough. You are so right. And I know oh, that gosh. sounds really trite, but you've just never tried hard enough because... Nobody, and I used to hear this in the financial world all the time. And again, I was having this conversation yesterday offline. It's like, you know, I have... Mm-hmm. I've got six years of uninterrupted trading profits with not a down month. You know, I've mm-hmm. never had a down Whoa. week. And to me, that's just, there's a word for it that is not family friendly, but you know what the word is. And mm-hmm. <laughs> let's just say that I believe very strongly that, that that's not true. And if it is, it's such an edge condition that maybe you should fail a little bit just to learn something. If not, if nothing else, just about yourself. Yeah. Yeah. You're so right. And, and, and that's why I, I teach people and I run this weird workshop called Turning Failures into Success. Yeah. It's a weird workshop. I came up with this idea when I came when I left the corporate world and I said and in fact the earlier title was Celebrating Failures. And I remembered coming out, you know, clients asking me, looking at me and say, Nobody wants to attend a workshop that has this word failures. Nobody wants to. Everybody wants to attend workshops that has success. The the word success in it. But guess what? I've been running the workshop since seven years ago, it's still running, and I have a lot of people interested in it because in that workshop, I start off with, okay, everybody, let's write down the stuff that you have failed and done miserably, you know, and, and um, I didn't come up with this idea, but um, I remember seeing on the internet, CV of failures, and I love it. I just totally love it. So I get everybody to do up a CV of their own failures. So write it down. What have you failed? And and I showed them my own CV where I failed, and it's so um, it's so encouraging because you know it, it suddenly gives people a lot of strength. So the workshop will start with everybody being a little you know polite, not wanting to say about themselves that one mistake I made, 
to the end of the workshop where everybody was just so open about things like yeah 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 I, I messed up here and you know what I learned so much about it and then yeah oh, oh tell me about it and then you know the conversation just goes like that and there's a lot of resilience in that and you know my I just say this a lot and I try to say this at every opportunity because not too long ago we've got an 11 year old school boy who took his life who jumped because for the first time in that's, his schooling years. Yeah, he failed at something. And, and he, he didn't really fail. He just, he just didn't, didn't make the cut in terms of acing. And that's it. He just took his life. And, and it's the first time he didn't do very well. He didn't fail. He just didn't do very well. 11-year-old boy. Gosh, it really crushes me. It does. And, so- and that's... Here's the I'm other sorry. thing. No, no. I want to. I want to leave on this actually because I think this is the right place to stop. But I, I believe the one other thing really strongly is no individual day is fatal, right? And you talk about this thing about, you know, turning failures into success, and you know, yeah. I, I understand that sort of semantic matters. Semantics matter, right? But like, yes, the there's a fine line between failing and trying, right? And maybe you want to tell people. Yeah you know, turning trying into success. Because like I said, it feeds back to the other thing we said. And as hippie as it sounds, it's like if you've never failed, then you're just not trying hard enough. And, and for that little boy, I mean, that's exactly. horrible. That's horrible, right? But there's a there's a societal problem around how you define what success is. And I, you know, I tell my daughter every day, no, mm. no individual day is fatal. And life is just about making little steps every day. And it's the people yeah. that kind of master their ability to just move forward, whatever moving yeah. forward means, that end up being successful. It has nothing to do with, um, you know, where you were educated or necessarily like how Absolutely inherently not. smart yeah. you are. It's just like, are you willing to move forward every day? Yep. And, and, and if I have my hand in the education, in defining what education should be in Singapore, I would introduce the concept of you know, failing, you know, being, using failing as a means, well, making mistakes and turning mistakes, fail early, right? Fail small, fail smart. That's the key thing. We need to teach everybody this message and embedded in that is knowing when to quit. And I don't mean quitting totally. You can quit the tactics, but don't quit the strategy. Yeah, I mean, maybe, so, you're, just in, maybe you're just in the wrong game. I mean, there's a whole concept. Yeah. In, in, and again, I we could keep going on this forever, but, but, I like the way you've said this. Yeah, no, it's fabulous, right? Um, yeah. But you can either stay in the game you're in and just continue to fail, or you can learn something from it, move into a better game that's more appropriate for you. And this gets all the way back to the beginning where you said you got to find yourself and understand yourself first because that's the real key. That's the real thing. That's the real thing. Brilliance happens when you are living your passion, right? Having a lot of imagination, having the courage to fail. Yeah. That is so important, yeah. Okay, Eileen. Look, Eileen Sia, that was awesome. Um, executive coach, organizational psychologist, founder, owner, the art of career. This has really been a fabulous conversation. Thank you so much, Mike. Thanks for having me. Cheers. You have a good day. Thank you so Cheers. much. You've Bye-bye. been listening to Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at www.asiatechpodcast.com.